All right, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 8 once again. Romans chapter 8, we're going to finish this paragraph, verses 28 to 30 this morning. We'll be ready to move on to the crescendo of verse 31 next week. These verses, 28 to 30, are probably the most well-known, especially verse 28, or some of the more well-known in the whole chapter of Romans 8. These are verses that are packed full of really good things we need to know about our salvation. And if you remember, it's leading to that crescendo of verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Essentially, what then shall we say to these things? These things that we're talking about right now, verses 28 to 30. Let's read these three verses, 28, 29, and 30. We'll pause, we'll pray, we'll ask God's blessing as usual, and then we'll jump in. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now let's pause and ask God's blessing on these verses. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and grace, and especially as You have revealed Yourself to us in Your most holy Word, which is absolutely true and authoritative. And now I pray that as we analyze the words that you have chosen to breathe out through Paul for us, that we would have a full understanding of their meaning. And that in a unique way, even this morning, it would lead us to verse 31, God, and we would ask, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I ask this, and for your gifting now, by your Spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. We know, as Christians, we are certain that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, that for us all things work together for good. Do you remember that purpose in that good is described in verse 29? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, the good for which all things work together for His people is that we will be made like Christ. And that is described in one word at the end of verse 30, glorified. 
When you and I are glorified, we will be fully and finally conformed to the image of Christ. And until that time, we know now, we know, we are certain that all things that happen in our lives and in the lives of others and in this world itself, that all things are being providentially worked together and directed to the aim and the goal and the purpose of our eternal good and God's eternal glory. We know that, right? That's just Christian, basic Christian knowledge. That's what Paul is teaching. We decided that it was important for us to analyze these, some of the words within these statements that Paul is making, like the word called that we looked at last week. Do you remember what we meant by that? That's a specific and special call that God gives through the gospel to those he plans to save. It's an effective and effectual call, and we know that because everyone who receives this call is justified. So whatever happens in the call, they're called and they're justified. That means, according to Paul, we studied this in the earlier chapters of Romans, they believed. So everything that needed to happen for them to be justified happens when God issues this call specifically and specially to his people. But there are other words that we need to familiarize ourselves with, and that is the words foreknown and predestined. He says, for those whom he foreknew, in verse 29. And then in verse 30, and he said those, uh, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called, etc., etc. Now he said it's important for us to know what these words mean, predestined and foreknew. And you'll remember why I think this is so important. Because what Paul is doing here is he's leading to that crescendo in verse 31. Where he sits back and he exclaims, what shall we say to these things? We were called We were foreknown, we were predestined, we were justified, we were glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he ends it all with this amazing verse 38. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This special, unique love that God has set upon His children expressed in terms like He foreknew us. And he predestined us, and he called us, and he justified and glorified us. These words are important to understand what they mean and be confident in what they mean because this is God's love language for his people. How do we know God loved us? Well, he foreknew us, and he predestined us, and he called us, and he justified us, and he glorified us. That's his love language upon his people. That's why we can be so confident that no matter what happens, nothing's going to separate us from this 
love that God has set upon His people in this unique and special way. You know, verses 38 and 39 do not apply to every person in the world, do they? I don't have a problem with people saying that God loves the world in a certain way, loves the people of it in a certain way, but not this way. Because if He loved them in a Romans 8 way, then nothing would separate them. Nothing. This is a specific love that is for His people. And the language of this love that God chose by His Spirit, through men like Paul, is language with words like foreknown and called and chose. Words that make sometimes some Christians uncomfortable. But that doesn't make God uncomfortable. And it didn't make Paul uncomfortable. These were the love words of God so that His people could be so confident in His eternal love that's been set on them, that they would never be discouraged or be fearful or be doubting, you see. That's why it's so important to spend the time to answer the question, what do these words mean? So let's deal with this word, foreknew. Again, verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Now take special note that whatever foreknow means, the ones he foreknew end up saved. Because the ones he foreknew, he predestined them, right? And if he predestined them, what did he do? He called them. And if he called them, then he justified them. And if he justified them, he glorifies them. So whatever we decide, foreknow means It's a saving word. If you're foreknown of God in this way, you will be saved. What does foreknow mean? As with most words in the Bible, in the Greek language, of the New Testament, in the Hebrew language, of the Old Testament, in the English language, as with most words... Context matters because words can be used in different ways with different meanings in different contexts. The word foreknow is simply the word for knowledge or gnosis or gnosko in the verbal form and it has a little prefix in front of it here in Romans 8 that means beforehand. So you put those two together and it just means to know beforehand. Now, the word knowledge itself is an interesting word because knowledge can really have two different categories of meanings. You could put it in two different categories. You can have knowledge of things. You can have informational knowledge. Like I know, as an example, I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I know that. I've known that. From the time I was probably in first grade-ish, I learned that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I've known it the whole time, and I bet you I'm going to know that until the day that I die. I'm going to know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
but I have no relationship with 2 plus 2 equals 4. The other way you can use the word no is in the realm of relationship. And we do this all the time. I can say, I really know so-and-so. I mean, we've spent time together. I know their likes and dislikes and dreams and desires. What do I mean when I say I know them? I don't just know their name or kind of know who they are or know some information about them. I mean, I really know this person. Or I could say, well, I know who they are, but I don't really know them. You see what I mean? It's knowledge of relationship. Not just knowledge of things, but knowledge of relationship, or relational knowledge. Matter of fact, this word can become so intimate in the Old Testament especially. The word to know is that really when one of the first times it shows up is when Adam knew his wife Eve and they bore a child. And we all know what he knew, wink, wink. That's how personal this word can become. It's a word, can be a word of relational knowledge. Certainly, that's the way Paul is using it here, relational knowledge. You'll notice in verse 30, or I'm sorry, in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What does God know here? It's not a what, it's a whom or whom's, isn't it? It's those ones he knew. And it's those ones he predestined. See, he knows them. He knew them beforehand is the idea. There's a knowledge of relationship with these people. And here's what I'm going to put forward to us. And then I want to show you using the Bible how I draw this conclusion, okay? That when Paul uses the word foreknowledge here, it means a knowledge of relationship that was established by God with His children that would result in His purpose for them, namely that they would be glorified. In other words, what I'm arguing is that beforehand, and I'll show you where, when that was, but beforehand God established a relationship with His people for a specific purpose that would result in His will for them coming to forth, which is He or the us being conformed to the image of His Son, okay? So it's a special relational knowledge set upon a special people that results in God's purpose being fulfilled. Now, let me show you how I work that through. Oh, and let me just say this. The reason I'm spending a lot of time on this is because some, I believe, have misinterpreted what foreknew here means when they get into the realm of predestination, they become uncomfortable, like the idea that God predestined some to go to heaven and not others. They become uncomfortable with that, and then they come across this word foreknew, and they go, oh, I just figured it out. God foreknew who would believe. So God looked down the channels of time, and he looked around, and he saw who would believe, and he said, okay, I'm going to predestine that one because Jess would believe in me and Graham would believe in me. I'm going to predestine them. 
My friends, last week, if you were here, you saw where that is impossible. When God looks down the channels of time to see who would come to Christ, what did he see? No one can come to me. Jesus said that. Remember, we looked at John 6, those of you who were here. Who can come to Christ? No one can come to Christ. They don't have the ability. Paul summarizes it, quoting from the Old Testament in Romans chapter 3 in the depravity of man, and he says it this way. No one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. Romans 1 taught us that whenever anybody has a knowledge of God, they take that knowledge and they suppress it in their own unrighteousness because by nature we do not want God. So God looks down the channels of time to see who would believe and no one would believe. Without this foreknowledge, whatever we define it as or however we conclude it, there would be no one who would be saved. And did you know God would have been perfectly just to leave it that way? There would have been no injustice in God to look at the creation that he made and mankind in his image who have rebelled against him, he would have been perfectly just to say, no one's being saved. I judge everyone. When it comes to salvation, friends, the word fair or fairness should never come into question because it was not fair for the perfectly righteous Son of God to hang on a cross for your sins. We do not want fairness in this area. Now, it is helpful for us at this point as we learn what this word foreknow actually means, since we know it doesn't mean that God worked down the channels of time to see who would believe. What does the word foreknow actually mean? And it's helpful to understand. We're going to look through a few passages in the Old Testament. Just remind yourself when you're studying the New Testament, it comes with a context of the Old Testament. So that there are concepts that Paul, who was steeped in the Old Testament, by the way, all the New Testament writers, except for Luke, were were Jewish men. And so they thought Old Testament, they quoted Old Testament, and they saw everything that we have as a fulfillment of Old Testament, including the relationship that the church has with God. They knew how to look back in the Old Testament and use the Old Testament in such a way that they could bring forth its meaning for us and its application for us. So I want in our study about this word foreknow to begin all the way back in the book of Genesis, and you could actually turn there if you wanted to, Genesis 18, and I'll get to it in just a minute, with this man, Abram, or as God renames him, Abraham. Abram was a man chosen by God to bless and be a blessing. Listen to this in Genesis 12. I'll put Genesis 12 on the screen and just keep it in Genesis 18. You can look at Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation 
And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, we know that God is fulfilling that through his ultimate descendant, which is Jesus Christ. And this nation, great nation that he would make him into is the nation of Israel. But now listen to this six chapters later in Genesis 18. If you look at verse 17... The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now take special note here of verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Now, if you look at that word in verse 19, chosen, and if you're using one of our Bibles here, there's a little footnote, number six in the Pew Bible, which is cluing you in on what the underlying Hebrew word most literally means. And I want you to actually look down if you have it. It's the Hebrew word for what? known. It's the Hebrew word yada, which just like the New Testament word for known can have various meanings based on the context. It can mean as something as I know two plus two equals four, but it also has a special connotation of special and unique relationship to it. And when the translators of the English Standard Version sat down, they're looking at those Hebrew words, they're thinking, what, how should we translate the word known in a sense and in a meaning and in a way that these English readers can understand what was being breathed out by the Holy Spirit here? What word could we think of? They thought of the word chosen. I have known him, which means I didn't just look down the channels of time and see that Abraham would become a great nation. I chose him to make of him a great nation. I've known him in this way, special, unique covenant relationship with him in which I knew him in this way. I called him out and I predestined him for this purpose, that he would be a blessing to the nations, you see. It's a knowledge of relationship with the implication of God's special choice of this person. Now, it's interesting in a context like this, I thought, well, let me check the other translations. What did those men who sat down to translate into the English, what did they think about this word yada in Genesis 18, verse 19? And you'll notice that in the New American Standard Bible, I have that translation up there, for I have chosen him. Or how about in the New International Version, for I have chosen him for this purpose. I love the New Living Translation. This is creative. I have singled him out. And so when we're thinking about the knowledge of God for you, it isn't some arbitrary thing like he looks down the channels of time so you to believe. He singled you out. 
He chose you and predestined you to be in his family, to be one of his children, to be like Christ. You see that? It's a special knowledge of relationship that God chooses with a specific purpose in mind. Let me give you another example of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet now, and to be a prophet... You had to be selected by God. You couldn't be in Israel like you can in nowadays people think they can, just raise themselves up and say, I'm a prophet. Couldn't do that. Prophets were specially chosen by God for the specific and special purpose of being a prophet. Now listen to the call to be a prophet that the Lord issued to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's our word, yada, same one as back in Genesis, parallel word to our New Testament word for gnosis and knowing and knowledge. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Friends, what other word... What other word do you think we could use to communicate the same idea for what, Abra- or of what God did with Jeremiah for that word, I knew you? What other word could we translate, I think, safely for the same idea? Everybody should say it. Chosen. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of chosen. It's Bible. I chose you, I selected you, I knew you in this way. Not just, I didn't look down and say, wow, Jeremiah, he's going to be a prophet. Okay, Jeremiah, I chose you. I knew you. I established this relationship with you for a purpose that I will work through with my power in your life. You will be a prophet. Even in the rest of the chapter, it's so interesting. As Jeremiah objects, Oh, but I am but a child. Don't you say I'm but a child. I'm making you a prophet. I'm telling you what to say. This is my choice of you, and I am predestining you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet to the nation. And guess what? Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations. You can read through all of Jeremiah and Lamentations. This is a relationship, it's a relational knowledge where God chooses a person for a specific purpose and then he works that purpose out in their lives. It wasn't, I foreknew you would be a prophet, Jeremiah. It is, I foreknew you and predestined you to be a prophet to the nations. So, foreknowledge can be, and I think is, a special relationship of God's choosing of individuals that results in the purpose for which God intended it. It's a special knowledge, a choosing knowledge, a selective knowledge of individuals for a purpose. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Jeremiah. But now look at this. In the nation of Israel itself, And in the prophet Amos, everybody would agree that the nation of Israel was God's chosen covenanted people. 
whom he redeemed out of the land of Egypt for a specific purpose, namely to bring the Messiah into the world by which all the nations of the world would be blessed. I don't think many people would argue with that. That's pretty clear. God chose them as his special nation. Now listen to this. Hear this word, Amos 3. The Lord has spoken against you. Now they're in trouble here, but listen to what he says. O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known. You mean... God wasn't aware of the other nations? Had they escaped his attention? Now, what in the Hebrew mind are they thinking here? I knew you in this special covenant relationship that I established with you for a specific purpose, and it is you that has rebelled against me. As a matter of fact, Paul will use this word in Romans 11.2, as I mentioned earlier in the service. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Did He look down the channels of time and see what Israel would do? No. He established a prior relationship with them of specific choice for a specific purpose. That's what foreknowledge in these contexts means. He didn't choose the Moabites in this way. He didn't choose the Hittites or the Amorites or the Perizzites. They were all left to their own sinful, rebellious will to worship their false gods all the way into an eternity without God. But Israel was foreknown by God to be His special covenanted people, to bring in the Messiah and be experiencers of His saving blessings. So in Romans chapter 8, friends, I am arguing that contextually the Word is not about God's general omniscience. It's not just a general word about God's knowledge about certain things about people, like namely they would believe. It's His special, unique relationship that He established with them beforehand in choosing them out, in singling them out for a specific purpose that He clearly defines there. People called according to His purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son these ones he foreknew in the special relationship of knowledge that he established with them for this purpose that they would be conformed to the image of his son and in the meantime would be uh, called and would be justified and then one day would be glorified So foreknowledge, friends, in these contexts is equal to the word chose, elected, and the doctrine of election. Now, briefly, let's look at this word predestined because they go hand in hand and then I'm going to tie it all together. These ones he foreknew, he also predestined. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, then he also called, they end up glorified. 
The word predestined just simply means to predetermine something. We all know what a destiny is, something that we're destined for. When I talk about some kind of destiny, this is my destiny, something I'm destined for. But this is a determining beforehand that something would happen. And in this context, it's very clear. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. God is the one in this context who establishes and fulfills this destiny. By the way, all of the activities, all of the saving activities of God in these verses, all the saving activities that happen in these verses, all are from God to us. Don't miss that. It's nothing we have done. All of God to us. These are divine activities, including predestining us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, here's what I want to do, and we'll wrap it up here. I want to bring you to a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, that's page 1241 if you're using one of our Bibles. We're going to see some of the exact same language that Paul is talking about in Romans 8. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now look at this in verse 4. Even as He chose us. That's the underlying verb for election. Even as He chose us in Him. And what's the time frame here? Before the foundation of the world? Did it come with a purpose? Did he have a purpose in this? Does he have an end result that he's going to work through? He sure does. That we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us, or we could also say, though the underlying word isn't for knowledge, but we could say it's the same thing. He foreknew us. Before the foundation of the world, He foreknew us, He chose us, He singled us out for this purpose that we would be holy and blameless before Him. By the way, in its fullest fulfillment, that holy and blameless before Him is the conformity to His Son. When we're in His presence, glorified like Christ, that's the purpose. But then He goes on, listen, in love He predestined us. Don't miss this. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. You see the same words He's using back in Romans 8? He's not talking about something different here. He foreknew you, or you could say He chose you, and then in love He predestined you into His family to be adoption as sons so that Christ would be the firstborn among many brothers, you see. According to His purpose, the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace 
You notice that phrase in verse 6. This is a, if you went through this with us, we broke it up like a song. The salvation song is what we called it in Ephesians 1 with three stanzas and then three refrains. The first refrain is in verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. The other two are found and they just say to the praise of His glory and to the praise of His glory, but it leaves out to the praise of His glorious grace. It is interesting to me that Paul includes to the praise of His glorious grace in the same context, he's talking about this, friends, that before the foundation of the world, knowing that your heart would be in rebellion against Him all the days of your life until the day you died, and if Jesus Christ and His resurrected state Himself would have stood before you and pled with you to come to Him, you would not have. God knowing that, knowing every dirty filthy thing you've ever done, said, thought, participated in, knew your hard-heartedness against Him and your rebellion, which all true Christians get a good sense of in the convicting presence of the Spirit. Knowing that, in love for you, He set that love on you specifically. He chose you. He established that knowledge of relationship with you. He predestined you to adoption as sons to the praise of His glorious grace so that forever and ever and ever, the only only thing you're going to be able to say for all eternity when it comes to your salvation is this. Praise God for His glorious grace to me. And it's in love that He did this for you. And it's in love that He tells you about it. So that when we get to the crescendo of Romans chapter 8, you can say, what shall I say to these things? If this is the way it worked, if God's for me in this way, that He's been for me from before the foundation of the world, that nothing can happen to me here. He predestined me in love. Well, nothing can separate me from that love. He's made that eternal commitment to you, Christian. J.I. Packer said, There is tremendous relief in knowing His love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion Him about me. You see, Christian, his love that was set upon you from before the foundation of the world rattled or shaken based on what you did this week. Our love for other people waxes and wanes like that. But God's foreknowing love, God's electing love, God's predestining love, God's justifying love, God's glorifying love is not like that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and never comes to an end. So friends, for those whom He foreknew, that's you if you're believing in Christ, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified in those whom He justified. He also glorified. These are the words 
of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Amazing, unmerited, free, unconditional, and in Christ. We praise you for that, and I pray that every person in this room, every one, God, would see the beauty in these words and praise you for your glorious grace. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.